listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening. This is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I'm live tonight, so you can actually call in at 917 917- I'll repeat that number again, 917-889-8078. And all I have to uh, welcome back. Uh, I have been gone for a while, haven't I? So uh, this COVID thing, wow, that's uh, been rather wild, hasn't it? I never expected anything like this. Uh, I myself did not get it. My mom at times was not feeling well because her late age, I was with her a lot. I also moved well during the COVID uh, and I had to work uh, a lot. (laughs) So that was uh, what I was doing. So uh, this is my first show back and I'm excited to return. Uh, So much has been happening in my life. My dissertation is going great. I'm getting to the part where I do my study and then it's a, it's a quick finish. It's just all quick from there. I want to say downhill, but downhill is sometimes referred to as bad. It's not bad. It's great, actually. I don't want to say uphill because it's not going to be slow going either. So anyway, (laughs) that's how that's going. Um, I I moved. Can you believe that? Uh, (laughs) I own my house and I moved. My daughter, uh, this little family is growing. And so she said, "Uh, can I buy your house for a few years? And I'm like, "Uh, hmm, all right. So I moved into her house. She moved into mine. And it's actually a great, a great thing for right now. I'm liking it. <laughs> okay. So my last show, I believe, was March. I believe it was in March. And April was my two-year anniversary on CWR Blog Talk Network. I love this uh, network. It's absolutely amazing. Um, I was not... Uh, on the air at that time, uh, again, I took off uh, several months for lots of different uh, reasons going on, as all of us do, right? Uh, May is usually when I hold my domestic violence conference in southern Utah, and that was canceled too. But I have great news. It will, We will be having it in just about a month, October 16th and 17th, from 8 to 4 uh, this year, so in one month. Uh, This is the only domestic violence conference in the state of Utah this year, as far as I know, and we're pretty excited. We just got approval not too long ago uh, because where we usually have it, of course, they are doing the COVID thing, and, um, and it wasn't possible when we wanted to and or when we usually have it, and so I felt very impressed that we talked to them at this time. And they said, yeah, that'd be fine. And so we worked out a date, which I was hoping to be December. And um, it's not. It's October. So <laughs> so we're doing our normal and we're running to catch up, like always, right? Uh, some of our speakers, uh, we're having Ashley Martledge again. She's absolutely amazing. I love this woman uh, so much. I don't know if she's going to be opening my conference like she usually does, but mm, she might. Uh, I'm going to know by Friday what to time slot she would like so definitely don't miss hers also I'm having Susie Fletch again from Pictar she always has great things to share she's 
just going gangbusters up in Salt Lake. And she also uh, started a uh, online group, which is absolutely amazing. And it's what my, um, my dissertation is on, is online uh, social support groups, therapeutic social support groups. Uh, Jason Grigula, he joined us our first year. He'll be back again this year. He's amazing, and he's a therapist, and he has some great things to, to say. He's worked with uh, uh, DV sisters for a, a lot of years, uh, a lot of years. And so he always just says, Shereen, what do you want me to talk about? I tell him, and he's he's always on top of it. Uh, also, I have a new one this year, Susan Mingle. Uh, she will be sharing her story and how she – uh, one big against her abuser in court. And so to me, this might be a really good time for lawyers to to join us because we'll have a lot of information. Uh, the cost, again, this year is free. So can't uh, say you can't afford it. <laughs> it just might be the hotels that you can't afford. But anyway, please join us. We're going to have a great time. It's going to be a great year, a great conference. With that being said, I want to welcome you all back to my show. I know it's been a little bit of time since I've been gone, and I'm sorry about that. Just so many things, one thing after the other, that have been hitting me. Uh, If you're listening on a recorded show, because I will be passing this around to all my DV friends sites, and and you cannot call in tonight, but you'd like to share some information, that'd be fine. And my email is Shereen. S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. And uh, anything you want to to say, that'd be great. I would like to remind everyone that our show is every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, and 8 Central. I will be having it every Thursday night until our conference. And then following conference, I'm going to be doing it two two Thursdays. Uh, a month until I finish my dissertation which hopefully will be in December but most likely it'll be January okay my show is also heard uh, if you get these things it's on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play and iHeartRadio if you subscribe to those services if you want a direct link to those services you may go to the CWR homepage on the website cwrtalksnetwork.com and click on the logo for that service. Time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233. My topic tonight is a little bit different. It's on uh, what, hold on, <laughs> why are abusers the way they are? I was going to say, why does he do that? But um, that's a book that I really like. And I recommend as well. Uh, why are abusers the way they are is my topic. And uh, instead of why does he do that, it's uh, some other insights uh, that have been given through a different research. Okay, so I'm going to a public service announcement and I will be right back. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by feedthepig.org. Well, I finally did it. I improved my credit score. You're kidding, right? Uh, no. How are we supposed to be the bad boys of electrosynth pop if you're out there being responsible? The band is about to be discovered. This is our year. Uh, yeah, you've been saying that for a while now. You think anyone in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was worried about their credit score? I never really thought that Of we were... course they weren't. Rock stars aren't supposed to think about that kind of stuff. We're supposed to think about how many guitars we've smashed, write aggressively sensitive power <laughs> ballads, start questionable fashion trends, tragically break up and blame creative differences. All right, all right, just... I 
I thought maybe it was time to take control of my finances, you know? Start using a budget. Get out of debt. Set some goals. A budget? Debt? Set some goals? Listen, I knew that we'd have our creative differences, but I was hoping they'd involve a little more scandal. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back. This is Shereen Rice. And uh, just to clarify things, I did have a guest tonight, but due to her child situation uh, that could not be uh, interrupted, uh, that wouldn't be possible. So uh, we will see Carolyn next week. I might even have to pre-record to work around her schedule so that it doesn't interfere with anything with her kids. Okay. So again, my show tonight is on why are abusers that way? Or why are why are abusers the way they are improperly for us English teachers? And the other thing I wanted to talk about is my abuse phase theory. I have my own theories, right? So I, if I can get to it, I will be talking about that as well. Okay, to start out, uh, let's talk about how do abusers become abusers? So that's one reason why the question is why they where they the way they are um as we know abuse is a learned behavior correct uh they first uh well they all abuse (laughs) yeah i'm tongue-tied so abusers are victims first correct uh they were they experienced abuse typically but not always in their own home either by family or friends uh relatives distant somewhat sometimes uh, their training comes from their environment the, par- the parents acquaintances other family members is typically not someone they don't know this is this is how they're trained they're trained to uh, do what they've observed do what they've experienced so that's where the learning comes in what do they learn this is a big question what do they learn They learn two things, and if anyone tells you any differently, they're wrong. One thing about abuse is it has only two things about it, two areas, power and control. There are some false beliefs that anger, it's an anger or aggression problem, false. Anger and aggression for domestic violence is used as a manipulation tool and nothing more. A manipulation tool to be able to abuse their victim as we will be discussing a lot of red flags uh, maybe this show maybe another if I can get through uh, what I want to talk about tonight we may talk about red flags as well because I have several pages of red flags okay so this is where the judicial system fails abusers do not have an anger management problem but yet they send them to anger management classes well how wonderful is that accomplished zero zip nothing you can't, so what? So they use a different tactic. Yay. Uh, that doesn't thwart abuse in any way. All it does is give them one way not to 
use their abuse. And uh, they'll still abuse you. So what is the worst type of abuse? It is psychological abuse, right? Anger, I guess they believe, turns into physical abuse, which is even the worst abuse. The worst abuse is psychological. Because all abuses have the baseline of psychological abuse, as we know. Okay. So one question is, do abusers get angry? Yeah, they want to use that against you. Uh, why do they get angry? Anger is, like I said, just it's just a tool used to manipulate. It is a model behavior to have what? To be able to abuse. It's a model behavior for that purpose. Okay, so uh, I like Albert Bandura's social learning theory. Uh, you'll hear me talk about theorists from time to time. Albert Bandura, his, because when you're in education and you have the masters that I do, you talk about theorists. Okay. So we're going to talk about one that I really like. His whole learning theory, social learning theory is on modeling and observation. And so he describes that the changes occur during this modeling and observation, observation of their abuser, right? And then modeling the behavior of the abuser, right? So this is what they do. They're the victim of abuse. They observe their abuser, what they do, how they do it, when they do it, why they do it, where they do it, anything they can observe, they will. And then, then they model that behavior. They will hone that behavior also later on, or as time goes on, as time progresses. Uh, They'll be able to hone the different behaviors uh, that it will require to abuse their victims. Okay, so what changes? What what kind of changes do they make? Uh, The behavior, the attitudes, and the emotional reaction is what they work to change. The behavior of the victim, the attitude of their victim, and the emotional reactions of their victim. So keep this in mind. Their observation requires attention, retention, motor reproduction, that's the modeling, and motivation. How do abusers get motivation? Well, is it internal or external? Intrinsic or extrinsic? This is a question, right? Uh, It's easy to answer. Number one, their motivation is to be able to really get a rise out of someone. That's their internal motivation is they want to abuse. And I will talk about this later, but it's really, it's of course unhealthy. It's so exhilarating to them. They feel a lot of elation being able to abuse someone. It's like their drug. So their external their external uh, motivation is doing it, the psychological, financial, emotional, verbal, physical, sexual, whatever the abuse is. That's the external motivation is doing the abuse, completing the task. Their internal motivation is the reaction of the victim. As we all know, the 86% of all women that are in jail are victims of abuse. It's typically their reaction to the ongoing torture, terrorism of abuse that they react to. And, and unfortunately, it's really difficult to have a 
have a defense against psychological abuse. It's very difficult. I'm not sure of any case that's ever made that stick. So, you know, that's just something we have to deal with, uh, learning how to not react. And it's not anger management classes that's going to help us either, victims of abuse. Because it's not an anger problem. It's reacting to the extreme amount of abuse. So maybe we should learn how to react properly, or is there a proper way? So if it's a learned behavior by these abusers, then it can be unlearned, correct? Correct, except for one thing. Our problem with that is they have to recognize they have a problem before they can make a change, such as an alcoholic or a drug addict has to recognize that they are a drug addict or a uh, alcoholic, right? Or they can't make any changes. So that's the same type of thing. That's why only 4%, 5% right in there uh, actually recognize that they have a problem and want to change. And sometimes, uh, and most of the time, if they say, hey, I want to change, uh, it's because it was, it was brought about by uh, a different episode, such as they went to jail. So they're like, oh, yeah, I think I need to change. Will they change? It's a good possibility. But considering only four to five percent change or have a desire to change, it's it's difficult to identify if they truly do change because they find so much exhilaration in in their drug of choice, which is abuse. Okay, so after a person's been abused and they are a victim of abuse, of course, they have three choices, and I do like to talk about this all the time because of the fact that. We do have choices after we've been victimized. Do we have to be an abuser? Absolutely not. That is just one of the choices. So the first choice is, and I've seen several people do this, is you can remain a victim. Remaining a victim in the victim state actually does re-victimize others because you have to use others to be able to remain in the victim state, right? But they want to stay in the battle of what has happened to them. And they love the attention they get by staying in that battle. And let, that's how they use other people, right? They have to share their battle wounds and show their battle wounds and scars and, and discuss their their defeats. Uh, let me share with you something, though. We do, all victims of abuse do, or, or survivors even, discuss what they went through. And let me share with you why. Because your cognitive brain cannot wrap around what you have done or what you have been through. And the reason why typically is because of the fact that you have never experienced such a thing, nor would you ever do such a thing. So experiencing such a thing is so outlandish to you. It's just uh, above and beyond anything that you would ever have imagined. And uh, I can say that equally. I would have never guessed how how well these abusers are capable of psychologically abusing women. Or I'm not saying just women, but in my case, of course, I'm a woman, right? So, And my dissertation is just on females because I had to keep it very pointed, so I kept it females. And um, so the bottom line is, is this is normal behavior, is to share our story for up to one to two years. 
And then uh, our cognitive brain will start to accept what we've been through and start to move forward. And it could, they could start to move forward sooner than that, but definitely until we're ready to move on, we will continue to live in our victim cycle. And the longer that you stay in, the uh, more likely you are to stay there. I've known people, I'm, I've known people in it for, I don't know, what, 10, 15 years. I don't know anyone who's been in there longer because I probably don't know them. But um, there, I said to one person, I said, I can help you get out of your victim cycle. And she goes, no, I'm not ready yet. She had been in eight years and she was not ready. And the reason why they're not ready typically is because of the fact that they can receive some sort of pity or, you know, elation by others feeling bad for them and so forth. Okay, so uh, let's see. Sometimes we inadvertently stay in a victim state and sometimes it's intentional. And why would you think that? Inadvertent is because we don't know how to get out. And intentional is because they get some sort of elation out of it by getting all the uh, people feeling sorry for them and all the attention. It's kind of an attention-seeking thing, right? And that's why it would be intentional if that was the case. A lot of times it's inadvertent, and a lot of victims of domestic violence do not know how to get out of the victim cycle but are trying desperately to do that. Okay, so a survivor. A survivor is one that gets out of their DV situation. And a lot of people would like to call people survivors just as soon as they get out. Um, typically, when you, as soon as you get out, you're still being victimized by your abuser. In fact, it's exponentially bad. Uh, the abuse might not be physical any longer, but psychological abuse, remember, is more uh, damaging. And it is something that they will, uh, so you're, you're still a victim of domestic violence until you have completely been able to, through whatever means, sever all contact with your abuser. And if you have children, that won't be for a long time. <laughs> so that's really difficult for a lot of people. Um, the abuser, again, uh, they need someone to abuse. So they need to continue with you until they're ready to give up as well. Okay. Uh, as soon as Jim uh, is willing to look towards healing, uh, that's a survivor. And sometimes they're looking towards healing in all the wrong places. Uh, this is why a lot of people uh, turn towards their Turns out drugs, alcohol, sex, food, whatever it is, they can uh, counter the anxiety, the depression, the PTSD that they've endured. It's not uncommon. It's very common. So if you have anyone that you know that has turned to any of these items for comfort, please be very patient with them. If you are someone who has turned to these items for for, uh, comfort, please be patient with yourself. That is the most difficult thing is to is to heal because healing um, sometimes requires 
understanding what you've been through. And sometimes that requires reliving. Not always, but sometimes it does. And so that's the direction um, that sometimes is necessary. Healing requires, and I'm going to tell you, I'm pretty excited because my all my studies are on uh, therapeutic social support, and it has been found that therapeutic social support is the number one thing that women have indicated that help them to recover most of all. And the reason why is because you're with a group of people who have had the same experiences, who understand what you're going through, who know how to comfort you. Uh, most unfortunate, but some people who have not experienced certain things do not know how to comfort you. They do the best they can without any knowledge of understanding what you've been through. And so that, that is very much kindness, very much kindness. But the thing is, is when you're with people that understand, yeah, I've been through that. And, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about how, where you need to go from here. And I think the best thing that ever happened to me was when I realized that, other people felt the same way I did. I wasn't sure how I felt. And then I realized that I was, I didn't even know I was abused for a long time. I have to say that. And most women don't uh, because psychological abuse isn't something that you look at. It's not something you do. It's not something you talk about. Um, it's not something you understand. Uh, if someone just, you know, is constantly ridiculing you, you're like, you know, did he get up on the wrong side of the bed? Because this is this is not the man I married. And that is for another time when we discuss the man that you married. But anyways, so uh, other ways to receive support is talk therapy, animal therapy, Art therapy, maybe taking up a hobby. Um, talk therapy is very good. Uh, I really uh, like EMDR. CBT, um, CBT is good, and DBT is also good. But I do like EMDR. So if you go to a therapist and you're struggling with letting go of something or having a problem with uh, moving on, talk to your therapist about EMDR. It's one of my favorites. Uh, the next thing is uh, the desire to help others. This is very healing. Service is very healing. Um, it helps you to move towards empowerment. It helps you become a thriver. And a thriver is someone who spends time helping others that have been through what they've been through. And those that do, I'll tell you right now, they do it for one reason. They do it because they don't want what happened to them to happen to anyone else. Everyone I've ever spoken to, the first thing they said is, I do this because I don't want what happened to me to happen to anyone else. And I'm right I'm right there with them, just totally right there with them. I don't want what happened to me to happen to anyone else. Okay, so now uh, the third choice, yeah, first choice is victim, second choice is survivor, and the third choice is abuser. Abusers, they have no desire or no ability to leave a DV situation. They like what they do. They live out their life in um, proximity to their abuser, in a close proximity to their abuser, and um, some within feet, some within a few miles, and they will not leave. Uh, they're very far from their abuser. It gives them, and, you know, I have uh, 
read a lot on this, but I still don't really understand it. But it gives them some sort of validation. And, um, yeah, so that's uh, where my cognitive brain stops. Like, how does that validate you? Uh, Yeah, it does, but I'm not going to go into that because I can't even wrap my brain around that. Uh, Abusers will use the same methods of abuse that was used on them honing them to increase the maximum amount of pain on their victim. Now, pain doesn't mean physical, does it? Could mean sexual, could mean psychological, could mean in any way. Uh, However, they need to administer pain. Okay, abusers will be the first ones to claim they are the victim of abuse which we're not too far off, are they? Because they were a victim of abuse at one time. But when they're victimizing their um, uh, victim, they are really, 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 really good at claiming to be the victim because they know the ropes. They know exactly what law enforcement will say. They know exactly what law enforcement will ask. And they know exactly how to respond. Okay, so this is very unusual for um, survivors. Um, victims or survivors, but it's very unusual because uh, we're not used to being in this situation. We're not used to being asked questions. We don't know what's going on, and we didn't even know we were abused. I had no idea, no idea until he hit me. Okay, so they will set up their victims for the fall. So one thing, um, and I don't tell many people this because I don't want them to to go through this, but uh, the Abusers will throw their victims under the bus and victims will throw themselves in front of the bus for them. It's true. It's what we do. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I had two black eyes, the first thing I thought of was makeup. And when I was talking to some young people not too long ago, I said, what do you think the first thing I did when um, I noticed I had two black eyes? And they said, makeup. Yes, makeup. And the reason why is because we didn't want our abuser to get into trouble. And that was my case as well. I didn't want anyone to feel bad about him or, you know, um, have negative thoughts or feelings towards him. And, and psycho me at the time was trying, uh, thinking, not trying, but thinking of, oh, yeah, we can work this out. Um, yeah, I know much, so much more now. There's no way to work out anything with an abuser. And the reason why is because, number one, they are incapable of love and they don't love. They'll say they love you. And there might be some sort of something inside them, but they, they're empathetic and they're apathetic and they are incapable of love, unfortunately. The true sense of the word, love. So moving on, uh, this is my favorite when asked, how did they become that way? I say they learned it. And what song do we know? Best of all, that explains that in detail. Cats in a Cradle, which I thought would be playing right now, but it's not. Oh, there we go. So just to remember how this works. And I won't play the whole song, but you'll get the idea. Just the other day, he came to the 
world in the usual way, but there were planes to catch and bills to pay. He learned to walk while I walk away, and he was talking for a new it. And as he grew, he'd say, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. And as you continue on in the song, remember he, at the beginning, right there at the beginning, he says, I want to be just like you, Dad. And as the time can uh, moves on in the song, he does, his father says, he is just like me. He did everything the way I did, and I, I didn't do a really good job. So uh, anytime someone says, how did they become that way? Or why are they the way they are? Or why does he do that? Because they learned it. And yes, I do believe that they can unlearn it. I, I believe any behavior that is learned can be unlearned. The only thing is, is uh, victims of abuse have been victimized so long um, that their training was so lengthy that it's uh, it, it's it's got to be difficult. I don't know anyone who's ever. That doesn't mean that doesn't exist. It means I don't know anyone who's ever relinquished all of their abusive techniques and turned the other direction. Okay, so I'm going to go to a public service announcement, and I'll be right back. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back. Sorry I had a slow start there. Um, I had a hard time getting to my computer. Okay, so um, next I want to move on to the six-fold phase method. Um, actually, I call it the six-fold phase theory, and this would be a lowercase t uh, as opposed to an uppercase t, and the reason for that, if you don't know the difference, is a uppercase t has been proven, a lowercase t has not. So, I am at the not phase, but good enough, I have spoken to numerous um, victims of abuse and uh, discussed it and um, got their feedback, and it's it's what they do. Uh, I'd like to say it's not, but this six-fold phase theory is exactly what they do. So let's talk about the six phases, and then I'm going to go in depth about all of them. The first phase is what I call the trap. The second phase is what I call the con. Third phase is what I call abuse. The fourth phase is what I call the red rose phase. 
the fifth phase is the honeymoon. And the sixth phase is the discard phase. So you're probably saying, well, what are all those about? Well, the first phase, the trap, they will typically wine you and dine you, take you to really nice places. You start to get to know this guy, and he seems to be, whoa, like everything you've ever wanted. Um, and then he will start to give you the woe is me thing. And um, he will talk about his ex and how bad that went and um, how horrible she was and all the things that she did to him. Okay, so one thing abusers like to do is they like to attack the nurturing aspect of women. So as soon as that woe is me comes up, you um, run, okay? The one even dining is nice, but as soon as the woe is me gets thrown in there, done, done, okay? Um, also, they're on their best behavior. Um, they want to show you someone that doesn't exist. And why I say that is because of the fact that the person they show you is someone that they are not. They will put on all these fronts and pretend to be someone that they absolutely are not and will never be. Because I'll tell you right now, if I thought for one second my husband was the person that he pretended to be, I would be right back in a red hot minute. But it's not possible. They are not that person. They will never be that person. Um, the person they show you in phase one is kind, caring, loving, service-oriented, um, just perfect for you. I love it when someone says to me, oh, man, he's everything I ever wanted. And that is when I say, then you need to run. <laughs> Anyone who thinks that this guy is everything you ever wanted, yeah, run. Just run, Okay. <laughs> I, I I have given out that advice before when they're in the bliss of all of that. Okay, so phase two is the con, or what I like to call seal the deal. So what um, what they do here is they like to um, seal the deal for their relationships. So that might be different for different people. So that might be living together. That might be getting married. You know if they are very uh, big on short courtships and a quick marriage or a quick move in. That's why I always say, when I see that, I just say, be really careful. Just watch closely. Um, you know, I, I, I've just never seen anything good come from that. Each person has a different level in which they emotionally commit. So this isn't something you can just say, okay, you're out. You know, that, that's just, you can't, everyone commits at a different level. So the amount of time that it takes the abuser to get to this uh, phase, the second phase, is, is different. Um, the abuser has to really, really feel that you have completely committed to them. And an excellent example is when Ray Rice and his girlfriend uh, fell out of the uh, elevator right? Fell out of the elevator and she stayed with him. She fell out of the elevator, almost looking dead. She was definitely passed out or knocked out, right? And she stayed with him. Now, luckily enough, um, I have continued to research that family because that is the most unusual thing to do. Actually, no, that's a normal thing to do. What's most unusual is because he got so much bad publicity from it 
and he lost his job, right, as a football player. And uh, he actually decided he needed help. And, you know, when it goes public, sometimes that's when you're going to find out you need help. And I'm sure a lot of people let him know how much help he needed, especially when he got the year fired words from his boss. Okay, so once someone becomes committed to a relationship, they typically stay unless they know the signs of abuse. So, you know, just because you have a, a, a verbal disagreement doesn't mean you're going to leave, right? So what does that mean exactly? What, when do you when do you leave or when do you see it? Um, women commit, completely commit. Abusers don't commit. And that's why when they live with you, it's easier for them to just say, um, bye-bye. But anyway, so... Women have a hard time, uh, women commit, abusers have a hard time committing. They have never committed to the relationship, and that's why there's so many um, affairs by abusers, because they've never re- uh, committed to the relationship at all. So let's talk about that for a moment. So when do you leave? The first time he starts gaslighting you? The first time he starts ridiculing you? The first time he starts putting you down? Second time? Third time? What? What is it? What is that number for you? And what does that look like for you? It looks different for all of us. And I guarantee you, unequivocally, all women will stay. Will stay. And uh, But let me continue on. But once we commit, uh, we are committed. And they know it. And then they will start immediately. Oh, one thing before I get to that. Keep in mind, the person you think you are marrying is not the real him. It is the manipulator him. Uh, let's call him the real, let's call the manipulated, the manipulating person A and the real person, we'll call that person B, okay? Because we're going to talk about person A and B all the way through my discussion here. Okay, so the third phase is as soon as you commit, and they know that you've committed, that's you through living together, um, psychological commitment, um, emotional commitment, and or married. Okay, so marriage is a real big one because they like to rush that, rush those nuptials in, in a heartbeat. So the abuse will immediately begin to commence as soon as they believe that you are committed to them because they know that you're not going to leave, right? Okay, so the um, the real him is will start to show. We'll call that person B. Like I said before, person B is the real him. So it doesn't come right out and say, whoa, here I am. What it does is just slowly come out. And he'll slowly, and he'll maintain the, the person A fake him for longer. And he watches your response on all of it and goes, in and out of real him, fake him, real him, fake him. Um, and as I said, it'd be very lightly at first, usually ending with a, just joking. Oh, don't be so serious. You know, I FYI to anyone who's listening, if they say just joking, run, just run, get over, get it over and just run. Okay. There's a, that is a total red flag there. Also, uh, don't be so serious. I love that one too. Don't be so serious. That is another red flag. Huge, 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 huge red flag. Run. Just run. Okay. So it will always start with the psychological abuse and move toward other abuses. 
So the psychological abuse commences first. And that could be anything, absolutely anything. And it, it's most unnoticeable. In fact, it's so light, you're like, ah, oh, did he wake up on the bus, or wrong side of the bed? Or uh, what's what's going on with him? That was kind of weird that he would say that. It's kind of weird that he would do that. So, who knows? But uh, he will immediately begin to abuse you. It will be in different ways. And it will be ever so lightly, and it will start to increase and increase and increase. So person B will come out just a little bit right at first, and then person B will come out more and more all the time. Okay? Person A is the one that you married. You really like him. Person B, you don't know. You've never met this man, but he has the same face as your husband, the same voice, the same body, the same tattoos, the same everything. Okay, so as soon as they start to use the abuse, they will follow that up immediately, right at first, with what I call the red rose phase. So the red rose phase is, it comes after abuse, almost all abuses, but um, as time goes on, it will be less and less. But anyway, so a person A comes out, and then um, after they've abused you, and they bring you flowers, or he tells you he loves you, he apologizes. Okay, just so you know, FYI, if they apologize under any conditions, it is to manipulate you. Okay? Okay, takes you out to dinner, tells you how beautiful you are, takes you to a movie. Anything that gets you to believe he loves you, and he's a great guy. So, the red rose phase is just a temporary phase. And it vanishes rather quickly. And then he goes back into the abuse. And then the red rose will show back up again. So this will go back and forth um, several times. And this is actually how the brainwashing um, starts. And how, because this is how he starts to get control of you. Because your brain's going like, oh, he still loves me. He loves me. What's that, what's that all about? He was just having a bad day. And you start to rationalize his behavior. Uh, they won't say, uh, you may say to yourself, oh, he didn't mean it. Look how wonderful that man is. He loves me so much. All these things is what you'll say during the red rose phase. And then he'll go back to the abuse. Abuse, red rose, abuse, red rose, abuse, red rose, until you start getting really fed up. So when the victim starts to get really fed up, uh, the abuser will recognize that and go on what's called the honeymoon. And before he goes, before we go to the honeymoon phase, let's talk a, a little bit about some things that you need to keep in mind. Number one, he's incapable of love. Anything he does that is nice is a deception to work you back into his control. This is not cynical. He has been learning these techniques since a child, so he knows what he's doing. Power and control means everything to him. It's everything to him. It's his drug of choice. Remember that I said that. He is motivated and receives elation both extrinsically and intrinsically from this power and control, from his abuse, from your reaction to the abuse. Extrinsically is the abuse itself. Intrinsically is the DV victim's response as I said so how you respond response gives him a a lot of elation okay if he responds if you respond in any way that is the abuser is high and his drug of choice and it's what he lives for 
he then would call you crazy. Yeah, that's normal. Um, so there are several different things, but I'll talk to you about them under uh, when I get to the part of uh, a red flag. If I get to that part tonight, because we only have ten more minutes. So phase three and four in your relationship. So the abuse red rose, abuse red rose. The abuser will bounce back and forth between phase three and four, phase four constantly. It will start to drive you crazy because your brain cannot decide if this is a good guy or a bad guy or, or maybe he's just having a bad day. Maybe, maybe which one's the real him. Okay. So at some point you'll think the words, why does he do that again? That's a great book. And I highly recommend it. Um, As you start to accept his abusive behavior, his abuse will increase in length and intensity and may reach physical abuse. In fact, some people say it will always reach physical abuse. Uh, But I can't say that that's the case. Uh, I know it's, it's a good possibility. Others will inadvertently start helping him abuse. Abuse you, right? They will start to victimize you. So this is called indirect abuse, third-party abuse, and abuse by proxy. I don't know why it has so many different names, but it does. It depends on the 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 person doing the research on what they're going to call it, I noticed. Okay, typically it will be his friends and family, and, and sometimes your family, and sometimes your friends. Surprisingly enough, I just get shocked all the time. When people, sisters tell me, uh, DV sisters tell me that their friends were even sucked in. Just totally shocked me. Anyway, so typically it will be his friends, but it can also be your friends and your family and his family. Uh, They will think they're doing something good or they will start to believe his lies. So one thing I always tell everyone that when a guy is an abuser, this is how you can tell. Don't you love Megan Trainer? I love this girl. She hits that right on the head. So truly, if he's lying, it's it's only when his lips are moving. I promise you. Okay, so now let's talk about phase five since my time is fleeting. Uh, he will go into the honeymoon phase. Um, at some point, you will have had enough of the back and forth of phase four and phase three, and uh, he will recognize that as well. He will put himself on a self-imposed nice streak. Person A will come out. Person A is not used to being out for very long. So the most I can say he will be is probably 60 days. 60 days of Mr. A. That's the person you met. That's the person you married. That is not the person who he is. But that is the person he's going to show you for the next 60 days or 30 or when he ever he has convinced you that, hey, I have changed. I love that part. I'm a changed man. Okay, so he will be on his best behavior until you are convinced that the man I married is still here. I see him. He's here. He loves me. We're going on our second honeymoon just by being together. Okay, so once he's convinced you that uh, that truly he is person A, um, he will actually immediately return back to phase three and phase four. And uh, then you're sucked in again. 
and it keeps going that way. So let's talk about phase six. Phase six, you may or may not get to that phase. Um, sometimes um, the victims leave during the honeymoon phase, after several honeymoons, of course. Uh, but let's talk about the discard phase because it does happen to a lot of DV sisters. And I'm not going to talk about brothers because I don't know. I haven't done research on on DV brothers. So let's just talk about DV sisters for right now. After he is tired of going to the honeymoon phase to maintain his power and control, by this time he has started to look for someone new to abuse. Once lies and manipulation, he will discard you. I'm sorry. Once he has found the new person, um, he has started to establish a bedrock of lies and manipulation. That's when he will discard you. Okay, so this is the most dangerous phase because abusers cannot love and they do not feel shame, remorse. They're empathetic. They're apathetic. They're not empathetic. Sorry, they're apathetic. They don't feel any, any feelings. They have no emotions. Um, That's why they can't love. If they don't love themselves, they can't love anyone else. And how can you love yourself if you're abusing people? So the relationship is dead to him and no longer has a need for you. Typically, by this time, they've already had a well-established affair and they want to move on to their new victim. So that's, you know, typically why you're of no value to them. This is where a lot of deaths occur, too. So the abuser will unattach himself uh, from his victim and antipathy and inhumanity set in. And there is no, uh, there's not always a phase six, as I suggested. Sometimes uh, the victim will leave before phase six. But that being said, I do want to reiterate that after you, that 72% of all deaths occur when the victim is trying to leave or leaves a relationship. So under no circumstances, would I ever tell someone to leave a relationship because of that? What I do tell them is prepare for safety. Preparing for safety means getting a new bank account, um, getting a different phone uh, that he doesn't know anything about, uh, getting clothes to someone's house that he doesn't know anything about, putting um, money in a at that friend's house that you may need to some they climb out the window and go to their house. Uh, set yourself up for an easy trans or a transition. Nothing's easy ever around an abuser. They will make your life a living hell, and that's all they know. And I'm sorry to put it that way, but that's true. The unfortunately, I'll tell you the hardest thing I ever, ever, ever had to hear and take in and understand is that my abuser never loved me. That was absolutely the hardest thing, hardest thing I ever had to accept. So um, sisters, brothers, uh, whoever's listening, please be very careful when you're dealing with abusers. They've been trained since birth. They know this stuff inside out and backwards. Uh, they, They find excitement. They find elation. They enjoy abusing you. And they don't even recognize that it's abuse. Isn't that sad? So please be careful. Psychological abuse is the worst. And I don't know anyone who has recovered from that. Psychological abuse is ongoing. 
I talked to a friend who's been out over 20 years, and I said, so when does when does it go away? When does it stop? When does when is it over? When are you completely cured from psychological abuse? And she goes, you know, I've been out 20 years. I'll let you know when I get there. So I've only been out six or seven years now, six years. And so I I just understand it, and I accept it, and I've moved on, and I try to help others to to understand. Uh, I guess understanding it is a, like a bad way to put it. It's not a good way. It uh, doesn't explain things. Uh, I don't understand it. I will never understand it because I don't understand these people. And nor do I think anyone should have anything to do with these people, right? Because all they do is go from one person to the next to abuse. I love it when they will say to a past um, victim, well, this person doesn't think I abuse them. Yeah, that's because, number one, they don't know what abuse is. Number two, they don't understand how to deal with abuse. Number two, three, they might be a victim of abuse that they've endured that their whole life. Who knows? And um, number four, you've conditioned them enough uh, to accept your abuse, period. Anyway, it was so good having uh, be back on the air. I'm very happy. I'm so excited to move on. And I'm totally, totally excited about my conference coming up in a month. Uh, again, I got to tell you a little bit about that. That's it's freaking amazing. It's at Tuacon in Ivan's, Utah. It will be on the 16th to 17th. It will be uh, free again this year. Uh, it will have a lot of great speakers. I um, am still acquiring speakers. I have a lot of speakers, um, but I don't know exactly. I'm still working on schedules. So if you go to our website, please register at DVA Conference. That's like Domestic Violence and Abuse, so DVA conference.com dvaconference.com and um, you don't have to pay anything but just register so we know that you're coming okay thank you so much for being uh, talking to you tonight I enjoyed every minute of it and next week we'll be talking to Carolyn about her judicial experience with her uh, abuser and her ex-husband have a good night stay safe bye bye